Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. There, there was a bear there, all black and brown and covered in hair. We are um, looking at Jamie 1 and Jamie 2. I'm uh, sorry, Jamie 1 and Brienne 2 from A Feast for Crows. Reverse that order. It'll be Brienne first and then Jamie 1. I'm joined with uh, Eon. Hey, this is Eon. I'm Eon Blue Negative on Tumblr. And Kama. Hi, um, I'm Kama Splice. I'm Grammar Saves Lives on Tumblr. And Torg. Hi, I'm Torgover, evil Torgover on Tumblr. And Sandwiches. Hi, I'm Sandwiches, and I can be found under Sandwiches Yum Yum at Tumblr. Such a bunch of lovely voices. <laughs> and I'm Lot, uh, Lady of Tarth Hyphen Posts on Tumblr. Um, so let's begin. We're going to start, as I said, with... Oh, you know what? Spoilers. We spoil everything. That's out of the way. Now let's jump in. <laughs> <laughs> So with um, Brienne 1, we open with her um, asking about Sansa. And, of course, we get that famous line, which we're going to see repeat it a few times, is she's looking for a maid of three and ten. She's asking everyone she comes across on the road to Duskendale, and no one is really of much help. She spots a skinny boy and thinks to ask him, but then he darts away. So <laughs> we're pretty sure this is Podrick, correct? Yes, so while yes. Podrick has been spotted. <laughs> Pod sighting one. <laughs> Um, so um, Brienne thinks of where Sansa might go, a girl with no home to run back to. The roads are unsafe to travel, the ironborn hold Moat Kaelin and the neck, and the Freys have the twins. And uh, the bay at King's Landing is a complete wreck, so there's not much getting in and out of there. But she did find out when she asked on the docks about a trading ship that was able to leave to Duskendale. So that's why she's heading to Duskendale. On her trip, um, she sees more people than she expects, but uh, she is warned that past Duskendale, the woods are full of outlaws and broken men. And then I uh, should also mention that during this uh, commute on the road, she's on her pretty, pretty pony that Jamie gave her. (laughs) Um, Commute? Yeah, well, I don't know. What would you get her her ride, her trek? It's a commute. It still counts. (laughs) She's commuting by horse. It's a righteous quest. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So one of my questions was, um, we see a lot of criticism about um, Brienne's search for Sansa. I know I've seen it. Um, But, uh, like, it seems like she she did the best job she could with investigating where Sansa could have gone in my mind like what else could she have done is there a better way she could have gone about looking for Sanza uh, um, well, I'm gonna jump in here if that's okay yes that's yeah. great I you know I did, I mean as annoying as it is to read over and over again the description of Sansa Stark um what I mean it's not like she's got like the internet it's not like she even has like a phone to, I mean all she has to go on is a description and no one I mean it sort of illustrates the plight the Stark children are in I mean it's chaos out there mm-hmm. I mean it's important too for people that are primarily show watchers to understand that 
she never gets to actually see Sansa. She has no idea what she really looks like. Mm, right. Yeah, which might be a point some some show watchers might not realize. Yeah. Is there anyone else? I, who I thought she did a really good job of just good detective work. It's just she's getting pretty bad or old information. Yeah. And I didn't even actually remember the part where she was um, went to the docks to ask them if they had seen any ships leave. Like, I uh, kind of had that recall on the, the rereading. Yeah, I, I know there's um, a lot of criticism that she doesn't go, you know, to the Eerie immediately because that's her, that's Sansa's main living relative, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, well... <laughs> That you know, she knows of. That she knows but, yeah. of. <laughs> Old information, as Ian said. <laughs> yes, exactly. But really, she's going off of the concrete details that she gets, rather than just a gut feeling, which is, again, as Ian said, very good detective work, even though it's technically wrong. <laughs> yeah. Right. Go ahead, sandwiches. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, um, yeah, I, I think she does the best she can under the circumstances. She's never seen Sansa. She doesn't know what she looks like, really. She's um, she's doing the best she can with what little information she has. And um, as far as the criticism of this book, and particularly Brienne's chapters are uh, concerned, um, I've often actually heard them more described as boring, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. Um, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> You leave my baby girl alone. <laughs> but but um, for me, I mean, this, the, the opening of this particular chapter is actually quite weary, but it's supposed to be because it's supposed to give you the feeling that she's already been searching and she's already tired of it in a way. And she knows it's going to go on for however long it takes. And so you get this sort of sort of weary feel as there's a blacksmith but you feel that there's been other blacksmiths before you know that she's been from village to village already and that this is just something that's ongoing and i think that's rather the point of it so i'm i've always been a bit and the only other thing from the very opening of this chapter that I really like, because it's something that comes up again and again, um, is at the very beginning when she's asking, I'm looking for a maid of three and ten. Um, she's speaking to a good wife and the, the reply is not as I recall, sir, the good wife mm-hmm. says. Nothing over and over again. <laughs> and nothing is made of it. You know, there's no there's no actual reaction from Brienne on that. It's just that's what people do. And it's it just sort of washes over her. And I think that's really interesting. There is some mention later on, I suppose, of it being more niggling. But as as she goes through this journey, it's just something she lets fly on by because there's no use fighting it. Yeah, but she, I mean, she's accustomed to it. It's just, yeah. That's her life. That's the reality. And it would just be more embarrassing to correct them, so... That would be exhausting every single time. Yeah. (laughs) I also wonder, I mean, I think there's another point, this whole little, um, the the searches, the the frustration, the reasoning she's going through, I think there's another point that's all there. And I think that may be um, Martin trying to illustrate just how, I mean, I see this a lot, on Tumblr and in forums and stuff, this idea that Sansa should have taken off with the Hound and or gotten out of King's Landing on her own. And I, I mean, 
when Brienne is sitting there, go or you know, searching, going through all of the girls' options. I mean, Sansa doesn't have any. No, it, you know, I mean, she'd be. Oh God, she'd be worse than me out on the road, and I'd be pretty bad. You know, <laughs> there's no one there. I mean, she's she's pretty much defenseless. She doesn't have a lot of options or, or any that are realistic. And, you know, she's not Brienne in that she doesn't have armor, she doesn't have a sword, she doesn't have the training, the skills. And I, I kind of wonder if Martin is just sort of, like, reminding us just how screwed Sansa is. Yeah. If that's part of the reason that this is there. I think so, because a lot of this chapter is really describing kind of the bleakness of the situation for anybody that's living in Westeros right now because of the war. So um, let's move on. Um, she's uh, She has a thought that maybe Jamie is sending her on this mission as some kind of cruel joke. And then immediately she thinks, no, Jamie wouldn't do that, which I thought was quite <laughs> sweet. Um, she also um, she also thinks it doesn't matter if it is a joke. Uh, she promised Catelyn and no vow is as solemn as one sworn to the dead. And I don't remember that line when I first read, but um, what do you think? Do you think that's going to play some significance later on? <laughs> I love that line. I, I just, I read it and I got chills. I was like, eee. yeah, <laughs> it, it made me shiver. I would think that that vow is meant for a, an actual dead person that's buried six feet <laughs> under. I don't know if it's technically talking about a reanimated corpse. Zombies don't count. <laughs> yeah. In the nightly rule book, there's like a little asterisk. If the person is a zombie, you're off the hook. Yeah. <laughs> Always read hope. the school print. I <laughs> can hope that exists in Brienne has studied that book well. <laughs> so, um, well, oh, sorry. Actually, I, um, I just want to go back to when she, when she starts thinking about Jamie and then she catches herself and says, no, wait, it's Catelyn, uh, that I'm doing this for. That this part is where I I still think she's not completely on board with being in love with Jamie yet. Oh, you know, I it's kind of coming up and you know grasping onto her, but I still don't think she's quite there yet. No, yeah, I think she's kind of yeah. It's like the the opening of being able to think of him as maybe an honorable person. But, I mean, he's got quite a reputation that he has to live down, right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, um, Brienne comes across two men, and they're sharing a grilled trout. They invite her to join them. And, uh, again, as we've mentioned, they call her Sir, mistakenly. Um, she asks them if they have seen a maid of three and ten. They answer no, and, again, invite her to share their fish. She asks them their names. They are Sir Creighton Longbow and Sir Illifer the Penniless. Brienne is wary of the hedge knights. Um, you know, they have kind of a, a bad reputation. She looks them over again, appraises them, and then I really like this little bit where she says, um, or she thinks, if I fear the likes of these, I had better well swap my long sword for a pair of knitting needles. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she unpacks her stuff under an elm and joins them. They offer her to ride with them to Duskendale, and there's a bit of a arguing back and forth. Um, finally, Creighton says, the likes of her has no need for the likes of us. Illifer points to her shield, the mm. one that Jamie pulled from the armory at Hall. So this is the one with the bat, right? 
Yes, that's the lost yeah. in shield. This is <laughs> the, that's the, the cursed house. Is this the Danielle Lofton who was like bathing in the blood of virgins or something? Or yes, she would send out. Up? Yes, she would send out bats to catch children to bring back to put in the cook pots, and she's also known to bathe in blood and stuff. So she's like the Elizabeth Bathory of Westeros. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Cool. All right. It's just Brienne's luck to end up with that shield. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Illifer, um guesses correctly and accuses her of being the Brienne, the maid of Tarth. He pulls a really crappy dagger on her and accuses her of killing R- Renly. Brienne swears by her sword that she didn't kill Renly and tells, um, they tell her that only knights um, swear by their swords and they make her swear by the seven instead. Apparently her swearing is so good, they um, reel back their accusations and it's like, eh, whatever, the gods will sort her out if she's a liar. <laughs> and I, she had done so well to win over their trust, they give her the first watch for um, when they sleep for the night. Um, she thinks, has a moment thinking, maybe I'm going to leave these guys, um, but then she decides she can't leave them undefended. Um, when it's her turn to rest, she has a hard time sleeping because she thinks back to Renly's camp where, um, you know, for any woman in her situation, rape would be a real concern. Um, so she lies on the cold ground thinking of Sansa and Tyrion, wondering if the stories are true, that he is the most evil and of the Lannisters, and that he perhaps forced Sansa's hand to poison Joffrey. Um, so I recap quite a bit. Was there any thoughts that you guys had about any of this? Um, I really wanted to pull back quite a bit just whenever she meets um, Sir Crichton and Sir Illifer. I just love the part where whenever she comes up to their camp, they're like, hey, we've we've got trout enough for three, sir. And she pulls off her great helm and she lets her hair spill free. <laughs> and I just, I picture, you know, the scene from A Game of Thrones season one where Jamie's pulling <laughs> off his helm and he's shaking his hair. I think of that with, with Brienne. Only well, said of a pretty, pretty boy, it's poor Brienne. <laughs> Well, he likes to do that martin you know that sort of like because that's a very romantic image you know the 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 person the guy in the motorcycle helmet and they pull it <laughs> yeah. off and it's a gorgeous blonde i mean that's and he's just sort of i love that <laughs> i also love these two guys i mean you know the whole yes. bit where she's swearing and you can tell she really means it and then i'm reading it going and they're like yeah she swears good okay <laughs> Well, it's yeah. um, it's it's a nice way too to show her character and how um, there's something about her that people just believe her integrity, just with she's just I don't know the way she says it, the the way she must deliver her lines. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I I mean, I think Brienne is one of those people who y- y- what you see is what you get. You know, she's honest to a fault. There's not it's not like someone else where you know they look fine, but there's stuff underneath, and I think that. It shines through. I mean, you know, she's not lying. She's okay, you know. And also, I don't think these guys are all that concerned with, you know, truth, justice in the Westerosi way. I mean. No, and we're going to see an example of that later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anybody else before I move on? No? Okay. Um, So when she awakes in the morning, the hedge knights are preparing breakfast and pissing. Um, during the night, all her items are safe and she has a moment of thought where she's thinking how grateful it is that there's still decent men in the world, which was kind of sweet. 
Uh, after breakfast, all three of them get on their horses. Uh, Brienne asks if anyone had passed them during the night. Creighton um, mentions a farm boy, and an hour and a half after, uh, or an hour later, a half dozen men. Uh, but he says he showed him the, his steel and they rode on. I kind of like this a bit because Re- Brienne hides her smile. Yes. I, I like how she didn't want to hurt his feelings by making fun of him. <laughs> fearsome, fearsome and Creighton. I, and I like that we have pod sighting number two as well. <laughs> we, oh, is, is that would be the farm boy, you think, right? I, I think yeah, so. Yeah, I'm he's keeping... on a piebald horse. I, th- I think that's pod again. <laughs> I th- I wondered too. I'm gonna keep check. That's pod two. Okay. <laughs> and that that's Sir Crichton. He's such a colorful guy. It's just funny. I just really like how he's talking about fighting his epic battle with the Knight of the Red Chicken. And whenever I read Red Chicken, I hear whenever I hear like whenever I read Chicken now, I see Chickren now. So yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, he's telling a tall tale now. If it's the Red Chickren. <laughs> Don't want to mess with the red chicky. <laughs> Eventually they come upon a large group of chanting um, prayers. They um, they look pretty shabby. One man has the seven-pointed star carved into his chest, and they are on their way to the Temple of the Blessed Baylor to deliver bones of the dead and seek protection of the king. They ask the knights to join them to protect them on their journey to King's Landing. Um, they speak of the killings and the rapes and the desecration of their seps. Um, of course, the hedge knights refuse um, without payment. Um, the man with his carved chest calls them false knights. Um, Brienne asks if they've seen a maid of three and ten, which no one really gives her an answer. And then they move on. Um, so my question is, if you think, do you think that if Brienne wasn't on this quest for Sansa, do you think she would have accompanied these people back to King's Landing? Most likely not. I no, think I don't not. think so either. Hmm. You think otherwise, Torg? Well, I I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I I think she's she's you know the she's good. She's up for always up for doing the right thing. So I think she might. I think she might. You know, if she didn't have something else to do. I kind of agree with you. <laughs> I thought she would totally have gone with these people back to King's Landing if she wasn't in the middle of a quest. If she wasn't in the middle of a quest and she wasn't looking for Sansa, I don't really see her going that way. I think she'd go back to Tarth. Mm-hmm. Even if these people were asking for her help? If they were asking for her help, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, I, I, is she just out there randomly? Because, I mean, I don't see her doing that. Yeah. I see her, like, is she going to join the fight to, I don't know, take back whatever? I mean, I mean, before we meet her, she's not... She's not aim- she's not a hedge knight. I mean, she's not aimlessly wandering the countryside, so I'd have to question why she'd be out in the middle of, you know, the Riverlands to begin with. I like with. how you're concerned with the plot. Like, why is this happening? So she's dropped right in the middle of the countryside, just happens to be there, walking along the road and getting an ice cream or something. <laughs> the TARDIS has dropped her off there and <laughs> Yes, and in that case, exactly. yes, she'd go that back. It's a Doctor Who reference. It was. <laughs> the only one you're going to get out of me today, but... The only one I will understand. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, since we're at this part in the book with that, um, the, sep- the Septon and the 
poor fellows. Uh, they're actually going to pop up in another chapter with Cersei. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see him. That that guy that she was talking to is actually going to become the the High Septon, the High Sparrow. Oh, yeah. the guy with the yeah. chest. Yeah, oh, he's, he becomes he's the High be the, Sparrow. He's going to be the, the the top dude. Ooh, and and that's going to be very significant later on. Yeah, yeah good one. Well, Ooh. remind us later. <laughs> I, well, remind me later because I do forget everything. <laughs> So Sir Creighton asks um, what sort of man would uh, slay a Holy Septon. And then Brienne thinks back to the brave companions and what they did to the Holy Septon near Maidenpool. Um, particularly the one that was strung from the tree and used for archery practice. Yuck. Um, as they travel, uh, they come across uh, the merchant Highbald um, with his serving men and another shorter hedge knight. Name. I'm going to really slaughter this name all the time. Forgive me. Sir Shadrich. Is that how you say it? That's how I say it. Sure. Shadrich. <laughs> Sir Shadrich. Um, everyone no. they meet is um, wary of strangers. Uh, Sir Creighton offers them a ride. <clears throat> and as they ride, Sir, Sir Shadrich looks Brienne up and down and then says, You're a strapping, healthy wench. <laughs> Brienne thinks of Jamie's japes and how Shadrich's words hardly touched her. I thought that was kind of nice. Uh, they converse and eventually he tells her he too is looking for Sansa. He offers to share Varys's reward with her if she joins him. Brienne plays dumb. Sir Shadrich isn't buying it and speaks of Sir Dantos the Red and Sansa. Uh, so we have somebody else on the search for Sansa and being kind of vocal about it. They come upon the Stone Bridge Inn. Bran offers to pay for the rooms for the two hedge knights plus herself. Um, inside the inn, Bran can feel all eyes on her. Despite uh, I kind of like this quote. Despite chainmail, cloak, and jerkin, she felt naked. Mm-hmm. Um, Bran gets the three rooms. The merchant gets two for himself and Shadrich. Bran also buys goat meat for her and the two hedge knights because they shared their trout. I just add it here. I love how loose she is with other people's money. <laughs> so we had that one episode where she had Catelyn's purse and she was just, you know, buying horses left and right. <laughs> extra. <Not> my money. <laughs> was it the corporate account? I think that might have been yep. <laughs> Uh So as they sup, conversation turns to King's Landing and Jamie. Brian uh, corrects them about Jamie's injury, but I can't remember what the false rumors were. I didn't write them down. Do you guys remember? Oh, um, that um, he he had his hand chewed off by a dire wolf. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, chewed off by a dire wolf. I hear one of them monsters come down from the north. Not that's good. Ever can't come from the north. Even their gods are queer. <laughs> yeah. That's what he says. Yeah, and Brienne just felt the need to correct them on that. <laughs> um, so she um, remembers her fight with um, Sir Jamie. Um, so she, she seems to be thinking about him a lot, I would say. Yeah. I have actually done a, a Jamie count for this chapter, <laughs> and I'll bring it right. up a bit. Like. <laughs> okay, good. I, I will enjoy that. <laughs> I just, I really love how every time she overhears people talking crap about Jamie, she gets really 
really pissed off and she storms off and she goes up to her room and she has to touch that sword of his. It says she grows tires, uh, tired of the common room and then she says goodnight to them. And like I said, she goes up and unwraps Oathkeeper, which is a beauty because he goes into great detail about the description of the sword and she clutches it and she lays in bed and says a prayer to the crone. She failed Renly and Catelyn. Must not fail, Jamie. He trusted me with his honor. Girls, mm. girls got it bad. <laughs> she's sort of she's... hiding the sword away, and sort of she's hiding her heart away. Oh, it's so <laughs> sweet. <laughs> uh, um, so Brienne waits until the inn is still, and then she sneaks downstairs and rides away. Thinking of Sansa, be not afraid. I shall not rest until I find you. And then that brings us to the end of Brienne one. Before we go on to Jamie one, did anybody want to add anything or any thoughts for this chapter? Um, anything I, I might have missed? Oh, I keep I keep interrupting sandwiches. No, no, that's fine. Oh. I just um loved loved a bit where um oh well, where were we? Uh, we were talking about it. Da, da, da. Oh, where, where the rumors were about um where with. Uh, Jamie losing his hand to the dire wolf. I love the fact that uh, Creighton, he's his bah! As it happens, I fight as well with either hand. And it just seems to be <laughs> you absolute braggart. You're brilliant. <laughs> yeah. No, he's so funny. And, uh, yeah, um, love a lot of this. Again, it is something that's quite low-key, but you, it's a really good way of getting into her head. And um, yeah, all the fondling of Oathkeeper is just brilliant. That should happen a lot more. And another sword. <laughs> say so. A metaphorical sword. A metaphorical sword. That's why we're all in this fandom. <laughs> um, <laughs> another sword. Um, <laughs> um, I did actually do an interesting Renly and Jamie count in this ch- in this chapter because I thought it would be interesting because Jamie crops up more and more in Brienne's thoughts as time goes on. It it, um, it becomes a bit of a mantra, and I just thought it would be interesting, because, particularly because Renly is um, heavily mentioned in this chapter too, to compare the two. So, what are we at for Renly? Renly is seven, and Jamie Lannister is 14. Ooh. 14, God dang. <laughs> not, not, not including, um, not including um, when she thinks um, of him calling her a wench, and not including when the guys are talking about the Kingslayer losing his hand. So this is just Brienne thinking. Okay. Ooh. By my mathing, that's double. Double. I had a comment that's not really related to the whole Jamie Brand thing, but um, I, I, I'm i uh, rereading the series and I'm almost done with the Game of Thrones. And I really like, there's a mirroring of, of Brienne with Arya here that I really like. Um, in, a, in the first book, Arya is just, she's so shitty at all the ladylike things. She's not good at it. She's clumsy. And... Brienne has that same experience, and I think it it has to do with them not really having, they don't fit the mold, Mm -hmm. and there's this sort of quest for, like, figuring out who you are in this world and how you can find a place where you're comfortable, and, you know, it's a hard road that they've chosen, but I think Arya and Brienne, I mean, there's, there's a lot there that's, they're very close in certain respects, and I... I have notes about that, so I just wanted to bring that up. 
I like that. I like yeah. that. Thank you. <clears throat> well, let's go on to Jamie one. Um, so it opens up with Jamie in his King's Guard armor, and he's standing by Tywin's remains. He's been standing there for a while. Um, Sir Balon and Sir Loras are there as well. Sir Loras offers to take his place for the night. Jamie refuses. Um, he's feeling pretty guilty that he had set Tyrion free, resulting in Tywin's death. Jamie is um, aching to kill someone also, so... He's a mix of emotions and violence is what he's most comfortable with, of course. Um, he thinks of Varys first. Uh, we get a memory of Jamie waiting for Varys in his bedchambers. He knocks him to the ground and puts a dagger to his throat, promises Varys that if Tyrion dies, he will be next. He thinks of um, Tyrion's words the night that he had freed him and how he uh, accused Cersei of you know, sleeping around and Jamie's basically been an idiot. Jamie also thinks of how he knew Tywin. If He also thinks that if he had known that Tyrion meant to kill Tywin, he would never have let him go, making him the kinslayer instead of Tyrion. So I thought that was kind of an interesting thought, that Jamie wouldn't have freed. Well, he doesn't want his father dead, I get that, but he was willing to let Tyrion die if given the choice. Mm. What do you think of that? Well, there's that whole idea of kinslaying being, like, a cursed kind of thing, like, that you're angering the gods, and maybe, you know, there's that, like, he doesn't want his brother to have to live with that as well? I don't know. I mean, there, Jamie's and and Cersei's um, reactions to their father are so incredibly complicated. There's, like, a PhD dissertation right there. (laughs) So, I think it's... I think it's just, it's, it's so layered. I don't know. I don't know if we have the time. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> the time or the mental capacities to discuss that on the spot, right? Well, that's me. I don't know. You guys may be, you're probably a lot brighter. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't take that bet. <laughs> well, I, I agree. It's, uh, I would say that part of it is the, he would rather be the cursed one than make Tyrion be the cursed one. And, but there's another, I guess, if he were to just let him sit in the tower and be executed, that's kind of the old moral quandary of do you uh, pull the lever to switch the train tracks to go off the cliff so that it doesn't hit the city full of people, and which one is morally right? And most people would just leave it alone and let more people die. Really? I I think that's like, that's a thing that, I don't know, I don't know if most people would, but it's... You know, one would be murder and yeah, yeah. I don't know. I would totally let it go off the cliff. (laughs) That's just me. (laughs) (laughs) Because one is murder because you're causing people to die, and one is just letting it go. But more people die as a result of it. That's true. It's like an impossible dilemma. Yeah. I'm almost curious now to know your answers, but I think that's going to take us <laughs> off the rails. Excuse the pun. Oh! <laughs> You're welcome. Welcome. I come here Tuesday night. Okay. <laughs> so Varys disappeared the night of um, Tyrion. The night Tyrion did, and uh, Jamie has been searching the castle thoroughly for him. He's um. It's interest. There's an interesting bit on how he's never uh, felt more crippled as he was crawling and climbing ladders and even holding a torch was difficult as he was trying to maneuver through these tunnels. 
Um, in the dark tunnels during their search, they did find a tile three-headed dragon, and it makes Jamie think of Rhaegar in his black and rubied armor. How Jamie asked him to let the other king's guards stay with um, Ares, and uh, Rhaegar refused, saying he didn't want to pull Ares's crutch from him, which angered Jamie because he very much doesn't want to be seen as a crutch. He's a he's a member of the king's guard. Um, Rhaegar puts his hand on Jamie's shoulder, telling him that when the battle's done, he means to call a council, and there will be changes made. So this <laughs> I thought was intriguing. What does this mean? Oh gosh, it's another parallel. Because if Tywin had went or lived, there would have been a lot of changes. I mean, there's been a couple of those along. You know, if 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 A had not happened, it would have been totally different. You know, so I think there's that. But I don't know what Rhaegar had intended. I assume to, I don't know, put his there's father. A, I'm sure. I would. I would bet that it will probably be. <sighs> We'll probably find out in later books. There's been like theories about um, southern ad- southern ad- ambitions because around that time, if you notice, like um, a lot of the major houses, they would just marry into like their lower bannermen. But around that time, you have like um, the Tullys marrying into like the Starks. You, you know, the, they're all marrying into like other houses. They're starting to form like alliances so i'm sure that we'll probably find out in a later book as to what these what this might have been <laughs> yeah it was an interesting line i was hoping yeah we have more speculation on what you guys thought it was a bit cryptic right mm-hmm. <clears throat> well i mean wouldn't one of the things be you know one of the possibilities is aries was going to be in prison somewhere for his own safety and, you know, Rhaegar would be a regent. That could be one thing that might That be. could be, yeah. I mean, like a sort of madness of King George, sort of, he's not capable of ruling, I'll take over, and we'll put him in a castle for his own good where he'll be guarded or something. I mean, that could have been one option. Was that yeah. ever discussed or hinted No, that that's just me. Well, I mean, if when you read these books, and if you know any, I mean, I'm sort of a... Well, not as much of a history buff as I used to be, but he makes parallels all along to various conflicts. Sorry, that's my What's idiot that? husband. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, lots of them. God. But I mean, he's got parallels all along to various, and he's especially drawn, I think, to British history. And I just, that would be my read, that that was what Rhaegar had, was planning on doing. He was going to take control, and that would be one way to go, and he wouldn't be a kinslayer. His father would be fine. It would probably just be, you know, locked in a room somewhere. Yeah. No, I've I've always um, uh, thought it's something along those lines, to be quite honest. And um, for me, what the important part about it, although there's lots of speculation about what Rhaegar would have done, it's it's for me, it's the air of hope that Jamie seems to have in that moment, because obviously under Ares, he's. He, he knows, he feels like he is this crutch, and that's why he sort of denies it. He's, no, I'm not a crutch, I'm a member of the King's Guard. But then um, Rhaegar gives him this moment of hope, things are going to change, and, and they might get better for him, and of course, that's, that's gone as soon as Rhaegar's dead. Mm-hmm. So, um, I just thought it was interesting from that point of view that he remembered that as a moment almost of hope, but of hope that is taken away. Right. Yeah, definitely. 
uh, following that bit of memory, uh, Jamie um, is shedding no tears for his father. He's feeling no grief, really. His father said tears were a sign of weakness. Um, And then he describes a thousand lords and ladies coming to view the body of Tywin Lannister and several thousand more in the afternoon of more, I'm guessing, common folk. Of them all, Pycelle grieves the most. <laughs> Was this not com- comical in your head as well? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Are we horrible? Poor Pycelle. Right? Laughing at an old man's grief. <laughs> 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 we're, we're a bunch of bitches. <laughs> I, you know, I, I love that conversation. I don't know if you're about to say more about this. Yeah, I got more, but go ahead. Expand. No, I was. I really like the conversation Pycelle has with Jamie. And I mean, as much as he's a doddering old fool... I mean, he's talking about, he tells that story about Quentin Hightower, who, like, basically sealed the city when there was a plague, and how, you know, he was heartless. Anyone who tried to leave got killed, no one could come in, and they saved the city, but afterwards, he was, like, murdered. Yeah, yeah, he was definitely a send-the-train-off-the-tracks type of person. But, I mean, there's a comment in there about hard men, and, I mean, it's a really good point that, you know, there's a reason there are these types of people, and they serve a purpose, and sometimes you need to be a Tywin, or you need a Tywin to, you know, make sure everything's running and functioning, and that, and it's sort of, I mean, because already at this point, you know, Cersei is busily undoing years and years of work in like you know mere minutes right and it's like okay he's dead and things are gonna go to shit really fast and it's just yet another hint of how you know the crows are going to be circling everything is going to go to hell in a much bigger way than it has been and i really liked that it's picel of all people bringing that up and you know i don't know i really enjoyed that (laughs) i is it, is it just me though, or I think it was the bit with Jamie afterwards because Pycelle he pours out his heart and he he talks about how Tywin was such a great man, and Jamie just says, "Is that why he looks so pleased with himself?" <laughs> because they're describing how Tywin's drying up, right? As he's yeah, they're there. smiling, smiling. Grin is just getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> There is a theory that Pysel is a Lannister or from a Lannister, he's a Lannister bannerman. He or was a from a house. or something, or, right? Yeah. I mean, I've yeah, because whenever, whenever they join the Citadel, they have to shed their house name. So they're known as Meister Pycelle. They don't have like, mm. a, you know, Meister Pycelle Smith or whatever. Yeah, right. we don't know. Yeah. That would explain his unwavering uh, loyalty. It's just a theory. Could be. Well, it's also why these people, you know, when you have, I mean, that's the theory. It's like you go and you shed your your name and you take vows or whatever. But, I mean, that's probably why a lot of these houses send their younger sons off to various places. Because they know they're still going to have some kind of hold over them. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, some kind of influence. Yep. Yeah. Like that. (laughs) Someone is disagreeing with me. (laughs) Such political thinking. (laughs) Uh, Oh, I like this bit too where he described how cruel it was for Tyrion to shear off Pycelle's beard, his (laughs) magnificent beard. (laughs) 
it might not mistake it, but did he not even like kind of compare it to him losing his hand? Like it was. (laughs) (laughs) That's how great this beard was, guys. I think Jamie is like in the process of growing a beard, so he's maybe having beard envy. Maybe I don't know. Beard envy. (laughs) (laughs) One day, my beard will be as magnificent as Pycelle's. My brother heartlessly chopped it off. God, I hope not. Yeah. It is a wonderful description. It really is. And you just, <laughs> the power is in the beard. <laughs> I like, too, that the, he describes how the regrowing of his beard is not going well. Like, it's just not coming back the way it was. It's very sparse. You can see his yeah. pink flesh underneath. Poor Pycelle. <laughs> he also thinks of how um, frail Pycelle is looking. And then he has this thought, small wonder Cersei thinks him useless. Pycelle and a whole lot of others, for that matter. Um, he, she's not liking Pycelle at the moment. She's not liking the Kingsguard. She's not liking the Tyrells, Ilan Payne, and even Jamie himself is criticized by Cersei. Um, <clears throat> Jamie has to keep up the ruse of investigating Tyrion's escape. Um, he's goes through this bit where he's been speaking to the chief undergoler, Renifer Longwaters. There's a missing goler in charge who's... Jailer. I'm saying Goler, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, it's Jailer. Jailer. Thank you. It's just you. the British spelling, I think. Okay. Uh, Jailer in charge of the Black Cells. They speak of how little the Black Cells are used. He mentions Pycelle, Tyrion, Ned, and three prisoners who were sent to the Wall. So we all know who those guys were, right? Yeah. The ones you know who that... The... You know that um, missing Goler, Rugen? You know who that is? Varys? It's Varys. That's also, I really think, I have no basis for that, but is this not a reference to Count Rugen from A Princess Bride? Oh my god, I never thought of that. That's brilliant. (laughs) There's a couple of those throughout the books, and that just hit me. Count Rugen from, which one is he? I just watched that like last week, and I swear. He's the Christopher Guest character. He's the evil dude. With the six oh, yeah. fingers. Oh, that's so <laughs> He killed Inigo Montoya's father. <laughs> Which is the other Princess Bride reference. Ah, he killed and raped die. my sister. <laughs> prepare to die. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Okay, so Varys is Rugen, who is from the Princess Bride. <laughs> <But he's clearly laughs> he's clearly a fan of the film. That's good. <laughs> I can uh, see Barry's actually sitting there, you know, of an evening. You know, all, all his all his spidering done, sitting down on a comfy chair, watching the Princess Bride, having a chuckle. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, I that. Eating some popcorn. <laughs> I'm going to take our musings a step further then. If um, Varys is Rugen, who's the one of the jailers, do you think it's possible he had something to do with, um, uh, I don't know, the the whole theory with... Okay, okay, first I gotta ask, do you think Jack and Hagar was one of those three? Well, he was one of those three prisoners, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think he had anything to do with making sure they went with Arya? Or am I off? Am I off my, I'm off my rocker, aren't I? <laughs> I don't know. Well, wasn't Ned Stark the one that sent them to the wall? Have them they sent- weren't supposed to go, though, were they? I thought that was Yorin who had picked out the people. Didn't Ned, oh, and I just read this, I could swear Ned gave Yorin, like, the pick of the jail. Like, go take anyone you want. And I don't think it's mentioned, well, I haven't gotten to that part anyway in the reread. So did Yorin pick these three and Varys okayed it? You know, it seems kind of weird that 
Bjorn would be allowed into the black cells. It seems like he'd be able to pick from the upper levels. Yeah. But, so it, it's possible. Hmm. Was 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 maybe well the other two dudes are just you know psychopaths. But was <laughs> um, uh, Jack and Hagar was I mean did Varys know he was a faceless man? Was the plan for him to go kill Daenerys? You know maybe oh. or someone else. I don't know. It's this plot is getting too thick for my brain. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway. I need some tinfoil for my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got tinfoil falling off my head right now. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Longwaters tells Jamie that um, the crown pays for 20 jailers. They only have 12. Um, Jamie thinks, he does the math and he thinks what a waste it is that the crown pays so much for their current six prisoners. Um, I kind of just like that. Um, that we kind of see a different facet to Jamie where he's kind of, you know, thinking more about things that he probably wouldn't have paid much attention to before. Well, he's in a position of administrative authority for the first time ever. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, he is. I, I, mean, I know, I know. It just commander. sounds silly when you say it. <laughs> and, I mean... I mean, I always knock him. I always say he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. And yeah. God knows he's come up with some damn stupid ideas. But, <laughs> well, come on. I mean, we'll marry Tom into Marcella and let Tar- <laughs> Targaryen dynasty. But, you know, but I mean, he he does some smart things here. And it's like he's finally in a position where he's kind of expected to do more than look pretty and wave a sword around. Yeah, basically he's flexing muscles that he's and, never had to use, right? Right. Yeah. So. Oh, and I'd like to just give a quick shout out to the the, the character of the jailer as well, Renifer Longwaters, is it? Yes. The guy who's just completely obsessed with class. He's, yeah. he's like, yeah, no, 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 you don't understand. They're just turnkeys, right? I am a jailer. <laughs> there are under jailers, and then there are turnkeys. <laughs> and I have the blood of the Targaryens flowing through yeah, Absolutely. Me. He's got mid management written all over him, Renifer. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. So uh, Jamie wants to question the two jailers um, who were on duty, and then he finds out they are dead by the hands of the King's Guard on Cersei's command. When he speaks with Sir Osmond and Sir Boris, he tells them the next time Cersei orders the death of another, come to him first. So he's getting pretty pissed off. Cersei's stepping on his domain. (laughs) That's his administrative duty to order deaths (laughs) by the King's Guard. (laughs) Um, Jamie had ordered a search for uh, Tyrion, telling Adam Maravan to search the Street of Silk, wondering how many bastard children would be born of a pointless search. And then, unbidden, his thoughts went to Brienne of Tarth's stupid, stubborn, ugly wench. So I love that he's thinking about how many, like, whores are going to be, you know... Yeah, this happens so many times with him, though. It's what Jamie does. He thinks of sex. And then he... His mind just leaps to Brienne, and it's, just, and it's a completely—it's—it's it's, it's not necessarily a sexual thought, but it is like, oh wow, there's a pair of tits. Oh, I wonder how Brienne is. Um, is she safe? And, and then and then he and then he leaps back into his original train of thought, but it just—he just isn't realizing that there's this sort of connection in his brain between any vaguely sexual thoughts and Brienne just yet. <laughs> it's quite funny. Uh, One can hope. Not that self-aware. <laughs> <He really laughs> is, 
On, on a more depressing note, he's thinking about a pointless search when he thinks about her, so that's a oh, little... Oh, no. Uh, like that, Bring us down. Bring us down, York. <laughs> you sound like you're having fun. <laughs> Chew on that. <laughs> and I will have to, you know, at, we have to, like, actually look at this whole chapter. He's actually, right now, he's standing over his dead father that's smelling so horribly right now. He hasn't had any sleep, so he's pretty loopy right now, too. Right. So the fact that he's able to be this smart about stuff is actually a good sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most certainly. Maybe he has to actually try to be as stupid as he is normally. So this is like a <laughs> new thing. <laughs> Uh, at the uh, he he wonders where Brienne is at the moment, and then he um, asks the father to give her strength. Uh, he thinks of Tyrion and his accusations again against Cersei, and uh, then he starts thinking about. Um, sorry, I'm losing my notes here. His word. Oh, so her the words that Tyrion his accusations against Cersei seem to be haunting him, and he does not want to sleep for fear of, you know, probably having some kind of gross dreams. Definitely seemed to have struck a nerve. At midnight, several hundred septons enter with song and prayer. Jamie remembers kneeling before the warrior when he was first knighted, and he thinks of a younger self, um, not the king's slayer, um, and he thinks about how that boy is long dead, which is kind of sad. So uh, we've had a couple times now where he's thinking about how it all started, and he was idealistic, right? He was a lot more like Brienne romanticizing the, the notions of a knight. I, I did love that, just those few words, a boy knelt, a knight rose, the young lion, not the kingslayer. And I thought that was really well done. Yeah, I enjoyed that too. He also thinks of the white book and how his page is left open. When a woman enters, dressed in rough spun cloak, it's Cersei. And immediately he thinks she wants something. She tells Jamie of <laughs> Kevin's refusal to the position of the hand, and she asks Jamie to be Tolman's hand. Jamie refuses. And now there's a comment where he says he can smell the fear and desperation on her. And then he wants to comfort her and hold her, but doesn't want to do it in front of the gods and their dead father. She lays it on pretty thick, and yet he still refuses her request. Says he is only fit for a battlefield, not a council chamber. Cersei says, very well. If it's a battlefield you want, battlefields, I'll give you. She says she was a fool to come and a fool to love him. Then she leaves the sept. It's quite a brief scene with Cersei coming in there. Anyway. It's quite it's quite telling, though, uh, as you say, the thing where, the, you know, she's, she wants something. <laughs> the, 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 almost his first thought is, you know, she 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 wants me for something else. There's, there's an, another motivation for her c- coming to see me because it's... Um, obviously something that's I think probably happened before that he would normally go to her I think in the previous chapter she thinks he will come to me after the death of their father and um, here you know she's gone to him but with a specific purpose and he knows it his eyes are open now right yeah well and I mean the last time they were standing over a dead relative you know stuff happened and (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a sign that he's... Really? Um, I kind of blocked that out. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's just, it, when I read that, it was like, the first time I read that, I was like, oh, okay, so he's kind of like, you know, he's growing up a little more um, emotionally. I mean, he's a little more mature in that he's not just, okay, let's go have sex now, because, you know... 
dead relative on a beer, you know. know. (laughs) They were candles. That's much more romantic. (laughs) (laughs) Joffrey didn't smell as bad. Speaking of uh, smelling, the next description is of uh, in the morning, uh, Tywin is pretty ripe. Even Jamie wants to gag from the smell. Uh, the doors open and we see Marjorie and the Tyrells enter and uh, she's holding a giant bouquet of yellow roses and she plucks one out and holds it to her nose. And Jamie just has a moment to think, yeah, she's not, she's actually a little smart. <laughs> Cersei and Tommen enter when everyone else has had um, sat in their places. Osmond Kettleblack is beside them. Um, he pictures Cersei and Osmond doing it in a graphic detail that I'm not going to go into. <laughs> it was pretty gross. Cersei and Tommen kneel at um, at Tyrion's briar, uh, Tywin's briar, and Tommen spews from the smell. His crown falls to the floor. Jamie orders Kettleblack to relieve him and chases Tommen, who has run away. Jamie gets Tolman outside and tries to comfort him. Tolman says he wasn't scared. The smell made him sick, and he asks him, How could you bear it, Uncle Sir? Jamie tells him a man can bear most anything if he must, and he thinks back to his own rotting hand that he had to wear as a pendant. And then I had there was another line that I thought was kind of interesting where Jamie told his son. So is this the first time that Jamie refers to one of these children as his son. Or if think, I don't think so, of yeah. That way. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Mm. James. Oh, the start of their sweet sitcom relationship. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> My three bastard children. From- <laughs> <laughs> Instant hit. <laughs> Jamie, Uncle Daddy, Uncle Daddy, that's oh, way better oh title. <laughs> Uncle Daddy. Oh, so no. Jamie tells Tobin to go away inside. Um, Tobin admits he used to do that. He used to go away inside sometimes with Joffrey. It's then when uh, Cersei comes out, and she's a lot tougher on Tobin. Tells him that jo- Joffrey would never have shamed her so. Jamie defends Tolman. They argue a bit until the crowds start coming out. And then Cersei pulls it together, not wanting to look like a mess in front of the Tyrells. Uh, Jamie invites uh, the Tyrell, uh, Mace Tyrell to sup with Cersei. He's surprised by the invitation, but he accepts. And Cersei is not a fan of the idea. Jamie tells her they need the Tyrells. He suggests she sends him to Storm's End uh, to flatter his ego. Cersei reminds Jamie Mace will not leave until Tolman and Marjorie are wed. Jamie basically says, then do it. You can uh, set aside the marriage later. After all, Tolman is uh, too young to consummate. So <clears throat> I guess basically Jamie just wants the Tyrells until the wars are over and then he's willing to shuck aside the alliance. I think and I, I did a little more reading than I had to, but I mean, at this point, Cersei's like, I mean, it's crazy how much damage she's doing. I mean, she just has a conversation and it's like, oh my God, you can just see the repercussions. And I, there are a lot of people in her family who are way smarter than she is when it comes to long-term plotting. And it's kind of a shock to realize that Jamie is one of those people. Um, <laughs> because again, he's never really displayed this side of him. But I don't even know that he's thinking that I think he's just like, look, this is what you have to do. You can't, I mean, he's 
he's enough of a Lannister and he still cares enough about the family that he's not going to, like, let her destroy everything. I don't know if he's thinking that far. I mean, but it's a logical thing he's suggesting. And there's really nothing wrong with Marjorie Tyrell except for what Cersei thinks. Well, yeah, and it's because Cersei's so wrapped up in her own wants and desires that she can't, you know, see beyond herself in the immediate satisfaction of finally getting to rule. She talks, I mean, throughout, when you start reading her POV chapters, it's a lot about she keeps wanting to get to a point where she'll rule. So she sees everyone around her. It's all obstacles to her getting what she wants. But it's like she's never actually sat down and thought about, okay, once I'm in charge, these are the things I want to do. She doesn't have any of those plans. Mm-hmm. No. It's, it's all very much short-term fires I must put out. But there is never any thought of what I'm going to do long-term. No. At all. It's not it's in her not that. Yeah. And what he's, what he's suggesting is a good idea. Well, it shows, it shows a lot more long-term thought than um, certainly Cersei has because she's become so wrapped up in this um, want for power that it's making her erratic. She's grabbing at things in order to bring a shorter goal to, to bear, where frankly she needs if she if she does want to sort of hold any kind of power she has to look at the long game and i don't think she's capable of it no i agree okay awesome um so that brings us to end of jamie one um anybody want to add anything before we move on to the thank yous um hold on a second there was a thing i have things too (laughs) all right Somebody else go for things. Go ahead, Tama. What are your things? <laughs> um, no, I thought it was interesting when I don't have the exact quote, but when she tries to seduce him, I think it's something like, I need you in me, you are me. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I mean, it's one of those, it's like, again, it's because I really haven't had a ton of them just being together. And it's, this is how she sees him. You know, there's no, she doesn't love him for him. She doesn't love him for who he is. She loves him because he is a reflection of herself in her mind. Mm -hmm. You are me. I mean, what the hell? Um, (laughs) And I I, I wrote that down because I just, I was struck by that. I wish I had the exact quote with me, but it's, um, it's quite clear. And the other thing I thought was interesting um, with him and also with Brienne One. There's a sense of, like, who you are in this world, in Westeros. What is your role? What's your thing? And, I mean, I think Jamie knows who he is. And he he knows what he's good at. And it's sort of him kind of, I think, maturing into this role, finally. Because now he's Lord Commander. And he's starting to think ahead. And it, it contrasts him with Cersei, who's also in a position of power. But who has no idea what she wants long term. Mm-hmm. You know? So those were my parting thoughts. I like it. You had something to add as well, sandwiches? Um, I was just going to say the thing I love about this this chapter in particular is just the slightly unbalanced feel of the things between Cersei and Jamie, particularly, because there is this... It's always been an imbalanced relationship, I think, um, with varying degrees of up and down for both. But um, you can actually see it starting to split apart here, and that's... I think I think that's quite well done, um, and also I would like to thank Mr. Martin for finishing um, just when Cersei says, "You know, 
for a moment there you sounded quite like father and not oh, going on yes. to write and, and not going on to write 10 seconds later Jamie was throwing up on his boots which <laughs> which I think he might have been <laughs> no I'm not like him <laughs> um, but all in all yeah I really enjoyed these chapters and um, yeah lo- lovely excellent yay I yeah. really, lo- I really loved the part when when Jamie's comforting Tom and Tom and he's oh. just eight years old, and I mean, my daughter is seven, and I can just imagine her having to go through what Tom and went through, and that's just scary for a, an eight year old. And yeah. he's he's comforting him, and I mean he's he's comforting him the way only only the way Jamie can. I mean the same way. I mean he did the same thing with Brienne. Whenever Brienne was worried about getting raped with the bloody mummers. Yeah. Well, in that whole bit about going away inside, I got chills when I read that. It's this notion of you have to dissociate to survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that Tommen has already had to do that yes. tells you something. That that's a hint right there that there's been some kind of probably physical abuse. With Joffrey. With Joffrey. Joffrey. Jamie's had to do it. Sansa does it constantly. I mean, that there are characters that this is the only way they get through life. Mm -hmm. Well, sound advice. From what I remember, uh, with Tommen, he would have little pet fawns and Joffrey would kill them. Oh. (laughs) That's horrible. That that sounds like Joffrey, I have to say. (laughs) And you're quite right. I think it was you that said a lot. um, Jamie told his son just those words in and of themselves are very important I think quite moving as well yeah it's, it's a shift in his thought towards those children and being more fatherly and protective right because we're seeing him being protective of Tolman. I know that's his duty but to me it, it reads a little bit more than just being about duty well he's sitting there trying to comfort him and saying hey it's not so bad you got nauseous you know don't worry and I mean, if he were just a bodyguard, if Tommen was really just a squirt of seed to him, which he's not, he to quote Jamie there, he would have been like, okay, you know, there would be no conversation. It would, you know. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's great. That'll uh, bring us to the end of the chapter reviews. Um, Eon, do you have the thank yous for us? Yes, I do. I have quite a few. <laughs> Our first one comes from Coralie through the looking glass. She, uh, this is from our drunk cast from oh, last time. <laughs> says, I just wanted to say that the latest podcast episode had me laughing so hard I was crying. What a great way to start my day. Thank you for all your hard work in putting this together and drinking. Mustn't forget the drinking. <laughs> yes, this is random, but I've never seen a convenience store in the UK or Ireland sell slushies. Oh, well, they're missing out. Yeah. <laughs> um, they do here, Cora. Just so you know. <laughs> Sorry. Short trip, short trip. <laughs> I'm going to read How yours. It it's worth it. It's worth the trip. Go do it. <laughs> we got a, one from Sandwiches. I'll read your comment. Oh, damn. Yay. <laughs> I'm happy. I was, I was I'm drunk. Happy. Sorry. Oh, no. It's all good. Did you drink in solidarity? Okay. Yes. <laughs> She says, I'm halfway through DrunkCast 2014, and I wanted to thank you guys for cheering me up muchly. There must just have been, there must just have been unladylike snorting and beer spillage (laughs) in these parts in direct response to it. Result, amazed tables, smiley face. Aww. 
Thank you, sandwiches. <laughs> I shouldn't have a keyboard when I'm drunk. <laughs> we shouldn't have microphones when we're drunk. <laughs> well, I thought it was amazing anyway. Thank you. I loved it. Thank you, guys. Anonymous says, love the podcast. We want more drunk Chicky. <laughs> Chicky, if you're listening... They want more drunk chickies. So yep. you better start drinking more blushing brands. We'll twist her rubber arm for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Another anonymous says, I hate all of you in your podcast too. <laughs> Gall's liver. liver. It was Gall's liver. <laughs> liver sent us a, a non-hate. <laughs> Our liver hates the podcast too. You're not supposed to sign your anon hate. <laughs> yeah, Giles Liver. <laughs> Jeez. Learn your netiquette. Is that oh, oh, wait. We have more. Percula says, Hi. Just wanted to say that the last few podcasts were superb. You ladies are quite insightful, even when drunk. Hope you have fun discussing a feast for crows. Thank you for your work as always. Next, we have F7th, and she says, So, I admit I wasn't the best Jamie Brienne shipper recently, because I fucking missed, like, four episodes of this podcast already. But I was trying to catch up slowly, and I was in episode 16, Bath Chapter. And holy crap, when Eon talked about how frequent <laughs> erections may happen for men today, I was like, Damn, do I miss this so freaking much. Also, I had no idea about George R. R. Martin and his wife's story. So it's nice information. I miss this podcast so much. Aw, <laughs> she's so sweet. Fire 14 lol says, Welcome back, Lot. I missed you on the podcast, but Chicky did a fantastic job of filling in for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys did it. Hugs. Great job on recapping a storm of swords. I know it couldn't have been easy. So so was the drunk cast like a celebration for finishing it or what? Please do more. I really liked it. <laughs> yeah, we were celebrating. Had a lot of fun. I learned I could actually, I think, drink well during these podcasts. Usually I have a coffee, but <laughs> I think I might slip a wine in here and now again. <gasps> we got a couple off of the um, jamieandbrian.com message board. One is from alias SD6. It says, I just discovered these podcasts over the weekend. The first one I listened to was Drunken Podcast, and I definitely burst out laughing every several times i went back to episode one and i'm listening to them while at work i think my co-workers think i'm crazy more so than i already am because i keep laughing something about armpits in one ep and Cersei on her period with blood spewing everywhere <laughs> in another episode <laughs> you guys are so much fun to listen to well done <laughs> Stella says love that episode the more JB the better I was listening listening to it at work a few days ago sitting there with my head my earphones grinning like a Cheshire cat and pulling myself together because your flailing was so contagious we did lot we got a um, an iTunes review from the UK what? Yes. bullying worked <laughs> is it sandwiches? <laughs> oh, I don't have iTunes. Well, not working iTunes. 
<laughs> Ace Queen King Jack says, I thought I would love this podcast as soon as I read the title, and I was not disappointed not to be missed by any book readers who wish the Winch and the Kingslayer had a few more baths together. Perfect combina- combination of d- serious discussion and gleeful gigg- giggling. Keep it up. That's and- awesome. Thank you so much. So, you Aussies. The UKers are now beating you. <laughs> now I'm going to pit them against each other. That's my next strategy. <laughs> okay, and last but not least, I got one more. It's from my fellow Texan, cynically romantic 18. She says, Hey, ladies, Drunkcast 2014 was hilarious and had me pausing multiple times to catch my breath from laughing so hard. I'm so sorry for sending in such a downer question. I don't even remember submitting it. Anyways... Looking forward to Feast for Crows chapters. <laughs> <laughs> that was um, the trial by cam combat question. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> We're like, ah, thanks a lot. So <laughs> Way to kill our buzz, cynically romantic. <laughs> we love you. Um, there is one thing, of course, um, other thing that we've um, forgotten, ladies. and It's a very important thing, and it's uh-huh. important I bring it out now. Uh, nobody has yet said cock. Oh boy! Oh, we haven't. Uh, I, I think this should be remedied now with a mass saying of it or something. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, do we have a countdown. <laughs> One, two, three. Cockatiel. 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 So is that it for all the thank yous? That is it. Okay. So um, I want to thank all of you for participating this evening for this discussion. I am so grateful that you guys come in and sit down and talk with me. Thank you, Lot. So thank you, panel. It was fun. fun. Thanks for inviting me. It was fun. Anytime, anytime. Um, So if you want to participate in the panel, we are, you know, always open to having new people on. You can message us on Tumblr or you can email us. You can reach us at closethedoorandcomehere.tumblr.com or you can email us at closethedoorand at gmail.com. You can also send us a little message on the Jamie and Brianne boards. That's jamiebrianne.com. So, Again, thanks so much, guys, and good night. Good night. Bye. Bye. Bye.